Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians, chapter 1. Let us bow our spiritual knee this morning as we look to our God. Let's pray. Father, we come again in prayer. We know that we're in your presence. We know that you are everywhere. And we know that for those of us that know Jesus as our Savior, you abide in us. But we come to you boldly through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And we want to thank you for your kindness to us and your goodness. We want to acknowledge your power and your sovereignty. And we want to give you thanks for those things that you have done in saving us, rescuing us from ourselves, from the world, from Satan, and from a destiny separate from you forever. And we want to acknowledge the way that you intervene in our lives. And we we want to praise you this morning that you have graciously intervened on our behalf and in the life of our sister, Virginia. Thank you for your goodness in protecting her and the work that you're continuing to do in her. We thank you, Father, for the way that you do wonderful things, even in the face of challenges. We pray, Father, you'd help us this morning as we come into your word and as we continue to worship you in the word, that we would humble ourselves before you and allow your spirit to teach us, to convince us, to motivate us, to raise up within us an affection for you that is unparalleled, because you are worthy of our affections, and your Son, Jesus, is worthy of our affections. Thank you for all you've done. Work in us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Colossians chapter 1. And we think of things like disease and devastation and demons, and they can be scary. They can weary us. They can frighten us. If you've been diagnosed with cancer or heart disease or any other life-altering disease... You've had to deal with the effects of the disease. You've had to deal with the effects of the treatment of that disease. And you've had to deal with the mental and spiritual effects of that disease. If you've lived in an area of the country that has been ravaged by hurricanes or tornadoes, or if you have been in a country where they've been ravaged by a tsunami, you recognize that this can can have a devastating effect as people have experienced the loss of property, the loss of life, And really, the loss of a sense of security. For those of you that have been aware of satanic and demonic activity close to your personal life, this can be an unsettling feeling. We can feel overwhelmed when we sense a satanic or a demonic activity nearby. It can be unsettling to us emotionally and even spiritually. You may have a feeling of heavy weight that is beyond your imagination. But I want you to know, we have a God who has not left us uninformed. We have a God who has not left us to our own devices when dealing with disease, devastation, 
or demons, we have a God who has informed us of his sovereign rule. We may sense that things are out of control. We may sense that things are not what they ought to be or what we even want them to be. Things are not the way we desire them to be. We may have all kinds of inner senses that are really screaming out inside of us. We may be crying out for some kind of logic that, to what we're experiencing. But God has given us an understanding of what we need to know. We may, within us, be crying out, who is really in control? Who is really in control? Well, our study of the book of Colossians has arrived at Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. And what we're going to note this morning is that Jesus Christ is the sovereign ruler over the created world. And next week when we come together, we're going to recognize and worship around the concept that Jesus Christ is the sovereign ruler over the new creation, the church. So what God has created already through Jesus Christ, Jesus rules over this. And through what God has created through Jesus Christ, the new creation, the church, Jesus Christ rules over this. We have a sovereign ruler over all things. So we want to meditate on the fact this morning that Jesus is in control. This is Jesus. We want to notice who Jesus is in every way. So here we are in Colossians 1. We already read it in our responsive reading, but we're going to read it again. I'll read it. You follow along in your copy of the scriptures. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He, Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him or through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father, that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This morning we want to note five characteristics of this one who is continuously referred to as he or him. I want to tell you that this, this is Jesus. Jesus is, first of all, sovereign over all creation. Here's the first characteristic that we want to note about Jesus. He is sovereign over all creation. Now it says here at the beginning of verse, middle of verse 15, the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn. Well, okay, so does this mean that, well, he's the first one ever born? Well, if you know the Bible, the first one created was Adam. And then from Adam came Eve. And then Adam and Eve had a boy named Cain. 
So if we're only talking about first in time, firstborn that way, then either you're talking about Adam, though he was created and not born, or you're talking about Cain, who was born, right? But that's not what this term is referring to. It's not referring to the first one that was ever born on earth. This is a statement of rank. This is a statement of superiority. This is a statement of supremacy. How do I know? How do I know that? Well, look at the screen with me. I'm not going to look at the screen, but you can look at it. Psalm 89.27, speaking about David, the king of Israel, God said this, And I will make him, David, the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So, first of all, you have the fact that he says he's the firstborn, what? King. Well, was he the first king on earth's history? In earth's history? No. Was he even the first king of Israel? No. So he's obviously not referring to firstborn in the sense of, okay, this is the first one of those who are king. He actually defines it for us by giving us a second. You know, it's a poet. It's a poem. So you've got the first one and then kind of an echo. A restatement. The restatement of the fact that he's the firstborn is he's the highest of the kings of the earth. This is the idea that is being communicated in Colossians chapter 1. That he is the firstborn, the highestborn. He is the highest ranking. But he's not the highest ranking of those that were created. It says the firstborn over all creation. He is ranking over creation. Well, why is it that he's ranking over creation? Well, this leads us to our second characteristic. So the second characteristic of Jesus is going to explain to us why he has this rank as firstborn or preeminent one. And that is that Jesus is the creator of all things. Now, you've all learned in Sunday school growing up that God created everything, right? Do you know the first verse in the Bible? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning... See, you knew this. God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. And here, and in several other places that we'll make note of, Jesus is the person of the Godhead who was responsible for this creation. Now, all three members of the Godhead were involved in creation, but Jesus is the primary agent of creation. Look at what it says in verse 16. For, well, what is the for there for? Why is there a four at the beginning of verse 16? This is telling us why he's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Say it with me. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the creator of all things. Heaven and earth, visible and invisible. So we're talking about heaven and earth, everything in between. We're talking about things we can see and things we can't see. And in case we're curious about what these things are that we can't see, he names them. Thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. He's talking about angelic hosts. Jesus created all things. Um, hold your hand here because we're going to come back, but take a look at the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Jesus created all things. He is the, the creator of heaven and earth, visible and invisible, humans, angels, 
fallen angels, including Satan himself. Jesus created it all. Now I will remind you from the scriptural account that all of these things were created perfect or perfectly. When Jesus created everything, at the end of the creation account it says, God looked around at all he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. So at the end of the creation week, we have perfection. Satan, at the time, called Lucifer the son of the morning. He was created in perfection. In, not im, in perfection. The angels, perfect. The, the, the stars and planets, perfect. The earth, the sea, and everything in it, perfect. This is how God made it, through Jesus Christ. Everything was created in heaven and on earth by him. This is why, friends, we can say he is the firstborn over all creation. We'll see here in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, just a reiteration of this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And in case you haven't gotten it yet, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Are we getting the point? If something was created, and it was, it was created by the Word. And the Word is Jesus. Verse 14 tells us. Take a look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the Word. We saw Him. Now, we didn't physically see Him, but the people that were here at the turn of the the first century, they saw Him, right? When we go from B.C. to A.D., I wonder how that all happens. Well, we want to change that from from B.C. and A.D. because that's too Christian. And so we're going to call it the CE that we're in right now, the Common Era, and BCE, before Common Era, they still have the same problem because it still turns around the same person. You can change the titles, you can change the terms, but everything changed when Jesus came. So Jesus came on the scene, the world knows it, even though they want to deny him as who he is. That one that came in history is the sovereign ruler because he is the sovereign creator. He made everything. The Bible wants to remind us again in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. It says this, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. You see what it says? Through whom also he created the world. So we're looking at Jesus. Remember we're saying, this is Jesus. He is the firstborn over all creation. Yes, He is sovereign over all creation. This is Jesus. He is the creator of everything, all things. This is Jesus. He pre-exists all things. He pre-exists all things. Well, what does that mean? And where are you coming up with that? Head back to the book of Colossians and verse 17. Colossians chapter 1. And verse 17, we're looking at Jesus. He is the sovereign over all things because he is the creator of all things. And by the way, he pre-exists all things. 
Now, some people want to limit him to the duration of the time that he came into the world. And they want to say that he's a created being. And they want to say all kinds of things. They don't know the scriptures. And they don't know God. And they don't know Jesus. Because he is not someone who arrived out of nowhere. He's been around. You ready for this? Forever. He is God. He's of the same essence and the same nature because he's God. He happened to be God in the flesh. Take a look, please, at Colossians 1 and verse 17. And he is before all things. Now we have a time stamp. The other stamp, firstborn, not a time stamp. Now we come to verse 17 and we've got, he is before all things. Now we've got a time stamp. He predates everything. Because he's eternal. Did he believe this when he was on the earth? Did he know who he was? Did he have like a, an identity crisis? I wonder what... There's something unique about me. He didn't hide this. He said in John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... If he predates Abraham... What's up with that? Because I, I, you know, I happen to know I, you, you look like you're maybe like 31 years old. How can you say you're older than Abraham? Because he's much more than Jesus the man. Now we worship Jesus because we know that he's not just Jesus a man. He's Jesus the man fully and God fully. He's the creator of heaven and earth and all that in them is. He predates everything before Abraham was, I am. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 13, Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now listen, we're going to get there, so I don't want to steal my thunder, but, but I want you to think about that statement, because it is so awesome. Alpha, well, we don't talk in these terms. Well, that's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And the Omega, the last. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. What are we saying? Well, not only is Jesus the one that created everything, He's the one to whom all things are headed. He's the first and the last. And by the way, somewhere in between, when everything was broken, He came and He fixed what was broken. Everything leads us to the point in the Scriptures of understanding that our lives are inept, broken, hopeless, without Jesus. Because He is the Creator of all things. And He's the one to whom all things return. It it is astounding. Jesus pre-exists all things. For all who really know Jesus, this is easy to comprehend. We know he is of the same essence as God. We believe that Jesus and the Father are one. He said that. Remember in John chapter 10 and verse 30. And you also remember this prayer. Remember John 17, glorious high priestly prayer of Jesus. And he's talking about the fact that you know, he's finished the work. You remember that? I finished the work you sent me to do. In verse 5 he makes this statement. He says this. And now Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I want to be 
I, I want to stop limiting myself. Let me return. I've finished the work. I've done it. Now, let me truly exhibit who I really am like I have for eternity. This is his prayer. Why? Because Jesus pre-exists all things. Jesus. He, he is sovereign over all things because he's the creator of all things. But don't, don't un, we must understand he pre-exists all things. Well, that kind of makes sense. If he created everything, you can't create it unless you were there before. So it's kind of logical, isn't it? Well, here's a, a fourth characteristic about this Jesus that we worship. Jesus holds all things together. Take a look at verse 17 again. Colossians 1.17 And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. All things consist. The, the idea is, is almost like banded together. It's like you, you've got these, these, all these things and you're, you're using rubber bands and you're tying it all together to make sure that it doesn't fall out. We're not going to lose any parts. So you rubber band this way and that way and this way and that way, but you know what's really cool? Jesus doesn't need to use rubber bands to hold the universe together. Remember he spoke it into existence? It's also held together by the word of his power. And so we look around and, and we recognize, here the sun rises and the sun sets. The earth is spinning on its axis. The moon circles the earth. The tides, they come a-rolling in. But they turn around as well, and they go back out. You know why that happens, friends? Well, there are two things. Because God created laws of nature. But those laws of nature stay in force and in place because of Jesus by the word of his power. See, Jesus is something special. He's not... Jesus is the beginning, the middle, and the end. The creator of everything. Okay? We're still considering Jesus. He's sovereign over all things because he created all things, because he pre-exists over all things. And even now, right this second, everything is is held together because of him. Everything is held together because of Jesus. Here's a fifth one. Here's where we're coming back to that middle again. Jesus is the center of all things. Well, I ran out of text here, right? Because the rest goes into the church. Well, that's next week. Well, I didn't exhaust this yet. Look again, please, at the beginning of verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. I want you to keep some prepositions in mind, and it's not necessarily the way they're written here, but I want you to keep this in mind. Please, this, just meditate on this. Ready? From him, through him, to him. From him, through him, 
and to him. The beginning of verse 16 is not saying the same thing as the end of verse 16. It says by him, and then at, in the, in the, right toward the end it says through him, in for him. It's not saying, okay, he created everything, and then it says he created everything to him. The, the idea that's coming here is, okay, we all know that God the Father is the designer of things. But the world came into existence out of the, all, in all of its intrinsic and, and intimate details from the mind of Jesus. From him. And it was put into being through him. And its destiny is that it is to return to him. Remember, he's the heir of all things to him. From him, through him, to him. This passage is telling us that Jesus is the center of all things. Uh, David Garland, one commentator, wrote this. Christ is more than the force that preserves the orderly arrangement of the cosmos. He is its rationale, its rhyme, and reason. We know, friends, that we live in a broken world and that the times of the restoration of all things will come when Jesus returns. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors together in, uh, with birth pangs until now. We know where it's all headed. We know where it came from. We know where we're at right now and there's pain and turmoil and challenge. But we also know that there's, there's a better rest of the story. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment. Ephesians 1. So we live in a broken world. We know that the times of refreshing will come when Jesus returns. And we know that the whole earth right now groans and labors, but we know where it's headed. Well, you're turning to Ephesians 1, and it will be on the screen, so you can choose your desirable place that you look at God's word here. Ephesians 1.10 says that in the dispensation of the fullness, that's the completion, the dispensation of the completion of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And so, okay, we see from him, he created all things, through him, to him, what? Everything is coming back and it's all going to be underneath him. It'll be perfect. The completion of everything. Jews, Gentiles, black and white, Asian, South African, South American, Northerners from Canada, people from Iceland and Finland and Russia, Afghanistan. People from all over the globe, friends, if they know Jesus as their Savior, at the fullness of the times, they'll be in Him, underneath Him. They'll be part of this scene that, that, to which everything returns. We look forward to a time like that when everything is fixed and everything, all the broken is, is, is perfect and all the, the kind of crummy things are, are no longer crummy. And when our mental challenges and our our spiritual heaviness and all these things are behind us and and we look and and we're longing for all this glory and and contentment and peace it's a beautiful thing to look forward to until then we live in a world that is marked by devastation and disease 
and demonic activity. But we don't fear. Because Jesus is the sovereign Lord of all. Now, we already talked about the fact that from him, right, the world was created. Great. To him, everything's going to come and it's going to be perfect and we're all happy about this. But we can also look at Jesus' life. And when we look at Jesus' life, what we notice is that Jesus, during his life, had power over devastation, diseases, and demons. I wonder if anything has changed since then. The answer class is no. Let's take a look, just for a moment, at a couple of passages in the Gospel of Mark. Take a look at Mark chapter 4. Jesus is sovereign over all things. As you're thinking about your own diseases, maybe some devastation that has taken place in your own life, and as you think of the possibility of feeling like oppressed around you, like there's, there's this oppression and, and this heaviness and this darkness, and you see things that make you think, man, this, this can't be from God, these activities. Should we respond in fear, or should we respond recognizing that the one who created everything, and the one to whom everything returns, and the one who, who's the one that brings it to that final conclusion, also might have something to say about it here and now. Here in Mark chapter 4, I want to first note devastation. We'll talk about weather. Now, you can talk about devastation in any manner of ways. But there are some people that have dealt with earthquakes that have devastated their, all of their possessions, or a hurricane, or a tsunami. Any, any of these kinds of quote-unquote natural disasters Is Jesus Lord over that? Well, it says so here. The disciples are heading across the sea. And it just starts whipping. And things are just going ballistic. And the the, the guys are on the boat and they're like, this isn't good. We're in trouble. Take a look at verse 39. Actually, we have to start in verse 38. 38 is, it's sweet. It says this, But he, speaking of Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Jesus is sleeping, and there's a lot of crummy stuff happening. And I wonder if sometimes we feel like, Jesus, You're asleep right now? i got a lot of stuff going on right now. And so the natural question comes. They awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Is this of no concern to you that we're about to die? That's an accusation, friends. And sometimes we find ourselves with that kind of a spirit because we're humans. God remembers our frame that we're dust. We can identify with these men on the boat, wondering if our sovereign Lord is asleep and if he cares. Well, look at what it says in verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. 
And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now I want to ask you a question. Is Jesus still, 2015, March 22nd, is Jesus still Lord over creation? Amen. Why? Why are we so fearful? Well, because sometimes, sometimes the, the winds keep coming, right? And the waters keep breaking into the boat. And Jesus doesn't cry out and rebuke the wind. Peace be still. You've, you've met people who have lost loved ones. Is Jesus any less sovereign? He's no less sovereign even when the wind is not rebuked. Hmm. How about disease? Take a look at chapter 5. We've got a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. And she finds her way through the crowd. She's thinking, if I can just grab on to his garment, everything will be fine. And she does, in fact, grab his garment. And he feels... I don't, know, I don't understand this, so don't, don't ask me about it after. He feels some goodness leaving him. And she's healed. Hmm. So he turns around, and he says this to her in Mark 5.34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I want to caution you about something. Sometimes we read too much into the details. So here's what you might hear someone say to you if you continue with a disease. God didn't allow his goodness to flow out of him and didn't heal your disease. You know what your problem is? You don't have enough faith. God rebukes that person in this passage. Because what we have here is what John MacArthur calls a Mark sandwich. I like it. It's really cool. What are you talking about? A Mark sandwich. Well, we have an account that starts, and then an account that breaks into the middle, and then the first account comes back. So we've got this sandwich here. And what you've got going on is... Before this lady's account sneaking through the crowd to grab a hold of his garment, we're having this discussion about Jairus' daughter being sick. Then Jesus is headed to Jairus' home to deal with his sick daughter. And that's when this lady, who has an issue of blood for 12 years, grabs onto his garment and is healed. Your faith has made you well. Well, don't mistake that for Jesus healing her. It wasn't the faith that healed her. Jesus healed her, and it related to her faith. Now we come back to the first part of the story to this, no coincidence, 12-year-old girl. 12-year-old girl. Take a look, please, at Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 35. Mark 5, 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. So we have this connection, the belief connection. All right, verse 39. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, because of your faith, I say to you, arise. Is that what your Bible says? She's dead. She has no faith. It says, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know of it, and said uh, that something should be given her to eat. Now, I want you to just think about this. We've got this little girl. She's dead. We've got a group of people that are saying, you're nuts, pal. So he says, all right, go your way. He comes in, doesn't say anything about her faith making her well, just says, get up. Why? Because Jesus is Lord over diseases. Do we want to trust him through our diseases? Yes. Is the trust going to make us better? Maybe. Only if it's the sovereign Lord of the universe's desire to make us better. Sometimes it's not. But what I can tell you is, if you know Jesus as your Savior, there's no doubt that someday you'll be better. Because someday you'll be perfect. I can promise you that. Jesus is Lord over devastation. He is Lord over disease. And you know what, friends? He's Lord over demons. You feel oppressed. You feel like like you just are being attacked constantly by, by Satan and, and his host of, of demons, listen, you don't need to be afraid. You know the one who created them and is Lord over them. Take a look at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We'll make this brief. Beginning in verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. This guy's got some problems. And so do his compadres around. We've got real problems here. Verse 4. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he said, excuse me, then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered him saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. 
Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Gave them permission. Gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Um, Who's the lord of the demons? Satan, of course. He's like the manager. He's like the middle manager. How How do you feel when you're the middle manager? Pretty bad. Because the people under you don't do what you want them to do, and the people over you tell you you're not doing a good job. Middle management stinks. Well, that's Satan's rule in life. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. Because he created heaven and earth. He's created what's visible. He's created what's invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And through him, all things consist. Friends, I don't know what you're going through. But I'm sure it's not easy. I'm sure that you have things that that are really hard in your life that you hate, that that you would love to to have go away. And and you're fearful. And and you're struggling. and, And you're weary of the battle. I want to tell you. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. There is no one like him. F.F. Bruce wrote this. For those who have been redeemed by Christ, the universe has no ultimate terrors. They know that their redeemer is also creator, ruler, and goal of all. Listen. Jesus is sovereign over all things. Is he sovereign over all of your things? Did you know that Jesus, the sovereign ruler, is for you? Religion over the years has painted a different picture. Over the years, churches, and I use that term very loosely, have painted a picture of a God who rains down thunder and lightning, who would love nothing more than to make your life miserable. Now they don't say it like I just did. But you've been told if you don't obey, look out, God's going to get you. Haven't you? You've heard it in Religious circles outside of evangelicalism. And you've heard it from churches inside of what we call evangelicalism where we preach the gospel. And we paint this picture of a God who's just very demanding. And what I want to tell you is while there are demands in the scriptures, there are. There are things that say don't kill and don't steal and don't covet. There are those things. I'm not telling you they don't exist. I want to tell you about a God in the way that the Bible portrays him is a supplying God. When we don't fulfill the demands of the law, he came in the likeness of sinful man. And you know what he did? He fully fulfilled the law. Did you know that Jesus is for you? This Jesus is the sovereign ruler of the universe. 
And he's on your side if you know him as your Savior. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's on your side. I guess, I guess the next logical question must be for us is, are you for him? Are you for him? Because we know where he stands. You know why I know he's for you? Almost 2,000 years ago, he was abandoned He was abandoned by the Father while he was bloodied and naked, hanging on a cross with people mocking him. And the reason he hung on that cross was to bear the weight of God's wrath against my sin. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And while he was pouring out his wrath on Jesus, Jesus became sin for us. Why? So that when we come to know who Jesus is in truth, the righteousness of God is placed into our lives so that we, we, Stand complete in Christ. This is how I can know Jesus is for you. Are you for him? This is Jesus. There is no one like him. This is why we worship him every day. But certainly, every time we're together, we come and we present Jesus. He is our life. He is our peace. He is our creator. And he is our end. He is everything. He's the center of who we are. This is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we love you because you first loved us. And we know your love because you sent your only begotten Son into the world, that through him we might have life. Thank you for your constant love and faithfulness. We praise you for your patience with us. And we ask you, Father, now in this moment, For those that have not yet come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That even now they would recognize their deep and desperate need for him. And they would call upon the name of Jesus as Lord. And that you would forever remove their sin and forever grant them Jesus' righteousness, that they might have life with you. And Father, for those of us that have trusted Jesus, we we need your help. Because we still fear. We still are overwhelmed from time to time with difficulties. And we, while we don't 
literally forget that Jesus is the sovereign ruler over our problems, we sometimes don't act upon that knowledge. And so we ask that you would help us to allow your spirit to apply this truth to our hearts, to our lives, that when we continue to face these difficulties, and as we continue to face these difficulties, we would do so armed with the truth that Jesus rules sovereignly, not generically over problems in general, but specifically can rule over our own individual problems that we face, whether they be physical, mental, or spiritual. Help us to yield ourselves fully to you because we trust you. You are worthy of that trust. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.